0: The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and
1: contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out!
2: Hammer Film Productions began in 1934 and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey.
3: Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films.
2: Joining him is Derek. Hammer means
3: the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces.
2: And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raich? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com
3: Wait, that was Sledgehammer.
2: 1951 Down Place: the home of Hammer Films Discussion.
1: It's time for the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore.
4: Bone Bat. This is Voltaire, and if you're not batshit crazy, you're listening to the Bone Bat Show. <laughs>
0: The locals say she ran away, but you know they lie, 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 lie.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 88 of The Bone Bat Show. This is Steve.
5: And this is Gordon. How's it going, man? It's going a little nutty. It's going nutty around here. Yeah? Yeah. I had a uh, a little bit of a twisted evening. Well, here, let me lay it out for you. Okay. Watching TV. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Room is totally dark, with the exception of the light emanating from the television set. Gotcha. Just kind of chilling. I'm wearing shorts. No shoes, no shirt. No problem. Oh, so it's almost sexy time. It is basically my sexy time, because I am all <laughs> alone. <laughs> and uh, it's warm out whenever the cat kind of bangs on the, the back door, and he's meowing, so... Bangs being the operative word here. Yes, because it's sexy time. <laughs> and so I go to open the back door, and uh, no cat. And I can hear him just kind of meowing just a few feet away in the darkness. So I call to him. I say to him, cat, come here. And he he dashes into the room, which kind of dog-like, frankly. But he runs into the room. I close the door behind him. I look down at him just in time to see him drop a big, flippin' healthy rat, (laughs) which proceeds to run across my foot. This, he like, he got himself a little takeout on the way in. He just, I think, just scooped it up, ran in the house, and
3: put so it did, did,
5: did you actually, like, piss yourself? That had to be shocking. It was surprising. It completely changed the mood for the whole evening at that point. Because I went from hanging out, wearing my shorts, watching TV, to now I have gigantic vermin running around my house, and it has this run across my foot already. So were you able to track it? I mean, did
1: it like run under the couch or behind yeah, the furniture?
5: Yeah, chase scene ensued with me and the rat and the cat. And every time the cat would corner the rat and I would get close to it, now I'm really not even sure what I was planning on doing. I'm like going through the checklist in my mind. I can't stomp on it because it's carpet and I'm barefoot. So that's right out. Okay. And you're wearing I've, nothing but shorts. Nothing but shorts. And for reasons that are inexplicable to me now, I had picked up a large pillow. That was sitting nearby. Perhaps you were going to smother it. Or maybe I was going to take a nap. <laughs> That's how I do
1: with my problems. And hopefully when I wake up, the rat will be gone.
5: That's right. I'm going to sleep now. Somebody will I don't want to this. see either of you in this fucking room when I wake up. <laughs> so we chased around for a bit. Then I realized, hey, I should use this big pillow to block the door to the rest of the house. So it doesn't like become an even larger chase scene. The pillow's not big enough for that. I'm running around like an idiot. I noticed the cat has now cornered the rat and I'm not running over there this time because when I run over, the cat goes, oh no, the human must be mad at me. And then he runs and the rat bolts again. So I leave the rat and the cat like in this standoff. Well, he's a I,
1: professional. He knows what he's doing.
5: If he knew what he was doing, he would have killed the rat outside. <laughs> so I open the garage. I book in there and I put on like a big pair of leather gloves and I come in because I've, I've now decided I've got to catch this rat. And I'm not going to step on it. I got to grab the thing. So the cat has got the rat corner and I am, I don't even know how I managed to do this. I managed to like catch the rat and I I caught it. I'm thinking about this. I don't want to be bitten and he could probably bite through these other gloves. I catch him like behind the head. So I got fingers wrapped around his chest area and his upper back and like the neck area. And I got it. And he's big. His head is sticking out of one end of my hand, and the back half of him is like flopping around in the other end of my hand. And, and he's like really strong, and he's really warm and squirmy. I can feel his his little rat heat through the leather glove. Sexy time. Sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> and you just happen to have.
1: <laughs> you just happen to have a roll of duct tape handy. Uh, you know. I did. <laughs>
5: I'm sorry, go on. No, that would have been one way to handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I've got the rat, what do I do? I want the rat to die, I wanna kill the rat, I don't wanna just like toss it out in the backyard or set it free, it's fucking vermin, that's what it is. It's disease carrying vermin, it's not some hoppy hop field mouse. Yeah, it's a disease vector, absolutely. I've got this thing in my house, it needs to die now. So, I didn't know what to do. I don't wanna throw it in the trash can, and just, like, let nature take its course, because there's way too much garbage in there. Next person opens the trash can, things flying out at him. So you know what I did? What would you do? I looked, I looked in that little fucker's eyes, gave him the, the stare, and I just squeezed him. Just, just Squeezed him until he died. Oh, fuck, you choked him out? Yeah. I, I, I got all constrictor on him. I thought he would, like, pop if I gave him a really hard squeeze, but rats are remarkably squishy. I guess they can get into little holes and things. That is
1: hardcore. Did you give him the teamwork speech first?
5: (laughs) (laughs) No, I just looked him into his eyes and went, shh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus, that's
1: so fucked up, dude.
5: (laughs) (laughs) No, I couldn't squish him. I had to, like, hold on to him really hard, so he couldn't, I guess, breathe or whatever. Yeah, I guess I was just holding his little rib cage across his lungs until he finally checked out. Wow. And he was just a twitching spastic... Unhappy mess because apparently rats don't like it when you do that. To
1: them. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you got to protect your family and whatnot, so f- I absolutely f- understand. I mean, I've
5: <laughs> if Peta is listening to this podcast. Please don't hesitate to fuck yourself with a dead rat.
1: <laughs> That's pretty hardcore, dude. Yeah, I've I had like to. That. I've had to deal with rodents. And it's always an unpleasant experience. So I, I totally feel you.
5: It is unpleasant.
1: You should stay out of my house. That's... I realize the cat brought it in, but still. That was absolutely a horrific story, and it fits fits well with this episode, as we're going to be talking a little bit about Crypticon 2012, from whence I have just returned. Got some pretty cool stuff. I have an interview with Doug Bradley, Pinhead himself, from the Hellraiser movies. Cool. And also, uh, the music that you're listening to this episode is from Aurelio Voltaire, who you may know as the Troubadour of Terror. This guy has chiseled out his own unique gravestone-like niche in the gothic music world, putting out cool, funny acoustic tunes. The tune he opened with this episode is called Don't Go By The River from the album Are You Ready For This? This is I'm ready. his 2012 release, riding a black unicorn down the side of an erupting volcano while drinking from a chalice filled with the laughter of small children. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's a hell of an album title, isn't it? Good Lord. So we've got an interview with Voltaire coming up and uh, some more awesome tunes for you to check out. I hope you dig them. That's like a John
5: Holmes mouthful.
1: It is. It, it's just that much of a mouthful, I guess. I don't know what <laughs> so, uh So kind of, you know, the fact that I can't speak kind of pisses me off. Yeah, I can see why that would piss you off. Are we doing that? Are we talking about what pisses us off? Let's talk about what pisses us off. You know what? What? We have a guest what pisses us off. Oh, good. I like that. Let's check it out.
3: Hey guys, it's Brian from Drunken Zombie. I just had a call with a thing that pisses me off because this literally just happened to me and I'm super pissed. I'm in the car right now. Look, when I go to the drive-thru, I try to make it as simple as possible when I order my food because I know their job really sucks. So I try to make it as clear as possible when I order. And so I just went through McDonald's and as always, I like a double quarter pounder with cheese. So I pull up and I say, Hello, I would like a number three large with a sweet tea, and that will be all. Seems like the simplest way to order. I made it easy, super simple, I spoke clearly, I spoke slowly, I made it so they could understand it perfectly. So then I go, hey, and then I go up to get my food, and they hand me it back with just my sandwich in it. And I say, oh, uh, there's supposed to be a large fry in here. And I go back and look, and they're like, yeah. They just charge you for a sandwich. Look, I said I want a number three combo. How much simpler do I have to make my ordering? A number three, which is a combo meal. I don't understand why it's so difficult. But at the very least, I said, well, I wanted a meal. Like, am I seriously going to have to go all the way back around through the drive-through to just get a large fry? And. Luckily, the chick was nice enough and just gave it to me. But, I mean, come on. Really? That really pisses me off.
1: I do appreciate that Brian thought of us first when he was pissed.
5: That is great. That is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you. They always fuck you with the drive-thru. They fuck you with the drive-thru. I am so glad that... There are people out there, when they get pissed, their first thought is to reach for the phone and call us up. It's not to reach for a chainsaw and carve up a a bunch of civilians.
1: It's probably a healthier way to go for everyone if you call us and, you know, vent your spleen, as it were, and uh, get that out there. But, yeah, that absolutely sucks, and the fact is he did make it a simple order, and he still gets dicked. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what do you do with that? I don't even know what you do with
5: that. I don't even know. One of our, I guess we have more than one, local McDonald's establishment is always really sketchy, and I, I don't go there very often, and every time I do, it, it's hit or miss whether or not they're going to get the order right.
1: I don't know why you'd ever go to a McDonald's in a town that has an in and out Burger. I'll tell you why. I don't know because why. Because
5: occasionally, my kids will go, please, you'd never ever take us to, please, please, <laughs> we want to get a Happy Meal, please, and I give in, and every single time, I regret it. <laughs> yeah. You're so mean, Dad. I am mean. You too. never
1: take us anywhere. I'm yeah. the meanest dad in the whole world. You, you can't possibly be because I'm the meanest dad in the whole world. Ooh. You know what that means, of course. <laughs> what? We Fight are to the
5: th- same dad.
1: Fight to the death? Oh. <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> yes, Dadlander. <laughs> nice.
5: So, dude, what pisses you off? You know what pisses me off? What's that? People, people, more specifically, People that take my copyright and website information off my cartoons. Oh, yeah. And then repost them. Yeah. It's it's happening again. Once again, I'm seeing it on Facebook. Celebrities posting my cartoons for gazillions of fans to see. Yeah, George Takai for the second time. How cool is that? Yeah, it's awesome. Hooray. Thank you. I'm glad you like my stuff. But I just wish whoever it was, and I'm in no way saying it was Mr. Takai or... Even his fans, somebody's seen it somewhere, and someone took the effort to remove MightyWombat.com from the cartoon and copyright G.J. Calkins. Yeah. Why? Why? Really? Seriously? Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Pisses me off. I don't Uh, You know what else pisses me off? What else pisses you off? You picket produce places.
1: Have you heard of these places? I I guess I've driven by them, but the stuff is
5: really already picked. You're not really picking it, right? I haven't even got close enough to, to observe it that closely. I was local to a famous one, I guess, or a really good one, they said recently, and they're like, oh, you're!" Th- I'm not even going to tell you where I was. Oh, you're there? Oh, you got to go to this place. You got to go to this, you pick it produce place. They get the bad. It's so great. You pick your produce. Hell no. Hell to the no, I am not picking my own produce. I pick it at home. I got my own strawberries. I got my own citrus trees. I pick my food there, but like, there is no joy in like driving to somebody else's farm and doing some farming for them. That's like right up there with mining your own coal. Fuck that! You mine your own coal. Damn you come I, on down. Come on down to
1: Crazy Bob's coal mine.
5: <laughs> can you imagine that? Hey, slip on down to Texas oil patch. and Drill for your own gasoline. You yes, drill I it. You pump
1: it. Company. You refine it all at our lovely facilities. <laughs> That's right. You refine it yourself
5: right here fractional distillation is just the first part of the process can't believe i did fractional distillation in a (laughs) crap-ass southern accent that probably violated some law by doing that
1: that actually might have uh, a chance for success considering how popular minecraft is these days people seem to like to make shit from scratch
5: now so why not and digitally not even in real life yeah it's insane these are like the hardest worst Jobs that the country has to offer so bad that they can't even fill these jobs with, with citizens. They have to exploit other people that are poor and destitute and like trying to make ends meet to do these jobs. And yet, some marketing geniuses are like selling it as, as some kind of fun. Yeah. Hey, come lay your own bricks. Yeah, actually, that's a skill. That's a that's mason thing. Get rid of that. Don't delete that, Steve. Come on down to John's plumbing house. You lay your own pipe. (laughs) Lay your own pipe. Now we're on to something. There you go. Well, you know, where I live, Northern California, there are a lot of um, pistachios grown. Okay. I would go to a place where you bust your own nuts. (laughs) Okay. Bust a nut at Crazy Mom's Pistachio Farm.
1: Would you shave your own clams?
5: I would probably shave a clam. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know what pisses me off? What pisses you off? So not uh, Shade Gooey Ducks.
1: Talking about Crypticon a little bit. I had a great time this year at Crypticon, and I'll I'll go over that in a little bit. But one of the things in the dealer room, there was a booth that was selling a bunch of, let's for the sake of argument, call them bootleg DVDs. Now, I'll give them the, the benefit of the doubt that most of these DVDs were things that are currently not being published by the studios things that couldn't be available to people and so they're doing a service they're making them available but sitting on their table were two copies of fucking deadheads what by our good friends the pierce brothers That we play at the Bone Bat Film Festival. Did you slap
5: him upside the head?
1: This is a film that is available legitimately on DVD. And this asshole is selling bootlegs. Now, I don't know the name of the company. I'll say this. It was in the back left-hand corner of the dealer room as you enter. And it fucking pisses me off that these assholes would be taking money out of the pockets of legitimate independent filmmakers. It's total bullshit. And it pisses me off.
5: Yeah, that's weak sauce. Did you just knock the table over?
1: I didn't. I looked at it. I looked at the videos for a minute, and I, you know, I was with uh, Derek, brother D. Yeah, and I said you saw that, right? And he was like, "Yeah, I saw it." I was like, "That's bullshit." So, fuck that. If you see people, do not buy bootleg DVDs of shit that's available publicly that you can buy. I mean, come on.
5: <sighs> Especially if it's from independence, not it's only not that, from Sony. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Not only that, hey, you know what? While well, we're on the subject of Deadheads, they're making the short. Cool. That Come we were talking Cheats. about. Yeah. They've got an Indiegogo site. Go there and throw them a few bucks so they can get this thing made. They're going to make another short featuring Cheese from Deadheads. It's going to be very cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And give them a little bit of support. Since, you know, they're getting dicked on the bootleg DVD end, you might as well help them out if you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, actually, it's kind of cool, because uh, not only the Deadhead guys are making a short, uh, Brother D, who I just mentioned, he just today put out a short story on Kindle. It's called Granny in the Hole. (laughs) What? And I got to applaud, Derek, that he he has, you know, brought to light the very difficult subject of senior sex, and he's added that with (laughs) Zombies. It, what you don't you don't think that's what? He, no,
5: I'm pretty sure it is about Granny's hole. I, what else could it be about?
1: <laughs> anyway, it's a buck twenty nine. I'm sure I have not read it yet, and I am of course poking fun at Derek because I like to do that. But
5: is that the gray part of the Fifty Shades of Gray?
1: Poking fun at the hole.
5: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was trying to continue to riff. Well, the the, the original the original
1: title was a hundred shades of gray, and he thought that nah, that'd just be cannibalizing.
5: Ah, <laughs> oh, cannibal, I get it.
1: So anyway, check that out. Uh, Brother D's got a story out. Also, Brian Wolford, who uh, just called in.
5: Wait, is he going to do a sequel and have it be Granny's other hole?
1: I don't know. I hope so. Grandpa's backdoor. I'm not sure what the, the next sequel will be, but you can rest assured I'll be watching for it. But yeah, Brian from Drunken Zombie also has his new film out, Myctophobia, which I've actually seen. It is very cool. The uh, actress in it, uh, Kitsy Duncan, she acts up a storm in that flick. It's got some nice little startles to it. The uh, sound design is really great. There are some good special effects. It is a very solid short. Right on. So uh, keep an eye peeled for that because I think he said it's going to be available pretty soon on Vimeo for you everybody to watch. So it's kind of cool being part of such a creative community. I, I really enjoy yeah. that.
5: A creative not getting their number two having community. <laughs> exactly.
1: One other thing I just wanted to mention, actually, since we're talking about Indiegogo and, you know, Kickstarter, there's a lot of that going around these days and whatnot. Uh, And we always talk about what pisses us off, but we very rarely talk about what is actually kind of a cool thing. You may recall back in like January or February, Obscura uh, was remastering their first album, re-recording and remastering their first album. And they put out a Kickstarter for that. And so you could, uh, you know, throw them a few bucks. And I did so. I received the CD in the mail a while back. But uh, I was supposed to get a t-shirt as well. It's a really cool t-shirt with the logo of Obscura screen printed in black on a black t-shirt. With like a bunch of vector lines. Yeah. It's like real subtle and real badass looking. But it never came. And so I emailed them and they said they had problems with their shirts or whatever. Which I understand (laughs) problems with shirts. Believe you me. So it shows up last week and they actually threw in like a free CD from another band and some stickers in there for my time they didn't have to do that
5: oh, way to go the extra miles. so
1: yeah it. so props to obscura those guys kick ass send it all the way from germany that's fucking awesome thank you so much so dude why don't we listen to a tune let's do it this is i have to say probably my favorite tune by voltaire this is when you're evil
0: By name you see all my special touch. To the gentlemen I'm misfortune. To the ladies I'm surprise. But call me by any name, anyway it's all the same. I'm the fly in your suit I'm the pedal in your shoe. I'm the bee beneath your bed. I'm the bump on every head. Slip. I'm looking in every head. I'm the thorn in your side, makes you wiggle and ride. and it's so easy when you're evil, this is the life you see, the devil dips his head to me, I do it all because I'm evil, and I do it all for free, your tears are all the pay I'll ever need. Sad. While there's candy to be had While there's pockets left to pick While there's grannies left to trip down the stairs I'll be there I'll be waiting round the corner It's a game, I'm glad I'm in it Cause there's one for every minute And it's so easy when you're evil This is the life you see The devil tips his hat to me I do it all because I'm evil And I do it all for free Your tears are all the pay I'll ever need. smile Even for a little while And no one loves you when you're evil I'm lying through my teeth Your tears are all the company I need
1: Alright, this is Steve from the Bone Bat Show, and I am here at Crypticon 2012 with Voltaire. Hi Steve. How you doing, man?
4: I'm doing alright. <laughs> Thanks so much
1: for joining us here on the show. I do appreciate it. i got to say, I discovered your stuff a couple of years ago. I was combing the internet for great songs for a Halloween mix I was making. And I stumbled across When You're Evil, Mm -hmm. which is the coolest fucking song ever. I just have to say. Thank you. And uh, became a fan from then. And uh, just enjoy your stuff. Now, you're a true kind of a, a gothic renaissance man. You're into animation and music and you make toys. Anything cool you were involved in how did you get started
4: I started as a stop-motion animator actually I ran away from home when I was 17 I'd been making stop-motion films in my basement with a super 8 camera mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of people my age <laughs> <clears throat> I'm like the crib keeper <laughs> and uh, I, you know I showed up in New York City in 1984 17 years old needed a job and I went to an animation studio showed them my films and uh, they hired me and I subsequently ended up animating and later directing station IDs for MTV and Mm -hmm. sci-fi channel and commercials for Budweiser and all sorts of other uh, companies and so uh, you know I spent the better part of 20 years animating and directing TV commercials and then uh, the bottom fell out of stop motion really you know computer Mm -hmm. animation came along and people weren't really that interested in stop motion anymore and so I had to find other things to do so some of the other Passions of mine that I did like stop motion, which started out as a hobby. Some of the other things I enjoyed doing, like drawing and you know drawing pictures of characters and telling the story by putting little bubbles over their heads and writing what they were saying to each other. Uh, I I did some of that, and um, that basically spiraled into a little bit of a career as a comic book creator. Mm-hmm. And then i have o- always sung and written songs, and uh, 19 somewhere between 93 and 95. I basically was dared to perform live at a friend's nightclub. And I did, and it went really well. And you know, the the goths in attendance were a little shocked (laughs) by the fact that I was intentionally funny there's a lot of funny goth bands. There's a lot of funny goth bands. It's just like, like so... kind of
1: creature features one. Well, I was going to
4: say so few of them are intentionally funny, you know. <laughs>
6: All right.
4: So back then, I mean, it was just like you honestly were not allowed to smile in a goth club. I oh, mean, sure. People took themselves very seriously. So well, what like was... Kind of the
1: specimen Batcave cave days. Yeah, or...
4: absolutely. You know, it was a little second wave. It was more like <laughs> Sisters of Mercy, March Violets, uh... But people took themselves so seriously. So it caught on really quickly because it was novel. You know, here were these murder ballads and, and songs about being evil, but they all were very tongue in cheek. And I got signed to a record label, and so there I was concurrently putting out albums, putting out comic books, and the comic books eventually spun off into toys because let's face it, people are more interested in the toy of the character than they are in the comic book of the character. And so uh, so here we are today, I, so I do a little bit of all of it. You know, I tour, I make records, I design toys, I write books, and uh, at the end of the day I basically just do whatever I think is a lot of fun and hopefully also pays the bills. <laughs>
1: That's a great way to make a living, I mean, to be able to embrace your passions like that and, and be
4: able to do it full time. Well, I, I, you know, I, I did the alternative. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the alternative is go work in an office or get some kind of day job. That's really just never been a possibility for me because when I have had a job that wasn't the least bit creative, I've gone home so depressed at the end of the day that after a week or two, I've you know, honestly wanted to kill myself and or everyone else <laughs> so um always I, an option always an option <laughs> so what I ended up doing was I starved to death you know because I I want so much to live in a world where I can um busy myself and, and pay the bills and have a vocation doing something that I enjoy that you know in the years of my life where I wasn't able to do that I just didn't eat yeah yeah which and let me tell you I looked great. (laughs) But yeah.
1: So what projects are you working on now? I know that you're kind of famous for showing up at Dragon Con. You do a great show there and you have a great
4: following. I think this is my 15th year in a row. It's either 14th or 15th. I understand they love you there. I'm like the mayor of Halloween Town there. (laughs) I I love playing Dragon Con. You know, again, because I have my hands in so many different pots. You know, when I go to Dragon Con... I will speak on a panel about publishing, and then I will speak on a panel about writing music, and then I will perform, let's say, Friday night to 4,000 people in the Centennial Ballroom, and then Saturday night I'll perform at the Steampunk Ball, and then Sunday night I'll perform (laughs) at the Trek Track and do nothing but songs about having sex with characters from Star Trek, and then I'll be in the Film Festival, and I'll show my film in the Film Festival, and I'll speak on panels about film, so... So you know, it pays to
1: have kind of a little bit of
4: variability to, well, your, to your game.
1: I mean, you the can way, mix it up.
4: The way I've always looked at it is, if I was hugely successful at any one thing, then, you know, A, I probably wouldn't have the time to do all of the other things, which is my roundabout way of saying I'm not hugely successful at any one thing. You know, I have a modicum of success for each of these little things. So the big picture at the end of the day looks like I'm super busy and getting a lot done because I am super busy and I'm getting a lot done but it's only because I do so many different things I think if I was only a filmmaker I'd probably spend a lot of time you know trying to pay the rent and and in between projects if I I only made comics it would be that way there's a beautiful cross-pollination that happens when you do a lot of different things because, mm-hmm. you know, there there isn't a week that goes by that I don't have someone walk up to me and say, I had no idea you wrote books.
6: Mm-hmm. I'm
4: a fan of your music. I just found your book, What is Goth? And I think it's hilarious. And then inversely, I'll get people who'll come up to me and say, you make music? <laughs> I, I've been collecting your vinyl toys for three years. I had no <laughs> idea you were a musician. So the cross-pollination really helps to, you know, kind of build the audience and mm-hmm. expand the audience. So... So what do you got coming up next? What is are your,
1: your current things that you're working on?
4: There's always, uh, you know, at, at least 12 things happening simultaneously. I've also come to the conclusion, I think that I'm ADD. I think that I, <laughs> I honestly think that I just have like attention deficit disorder because I have an idea and like 30 seconds later, I have an idea for something else, but I'm so stubborn that I, I get shit done, mm. you know? So somehow the projects actually end up manifesting themselves, but uh at the moment, I'm working on a vinyl toy. It is uh, an extension of the Bunnypocalypse line, okay. which was an extension of the Deddy and Fiends line. It's, it's a vinyl toy of a glow-in-the-dark evil bunny called Death Bunny Nitro. <laughs> and I'm working with the company who makes it. They're called Toy 2R out of Hong Kong to see if we can make three versions of it. So uh, that should be coming out in June or July. As far as books go, I just finished writing the last chapter of my first novel, which is called Call of the Jersey Devil. Very cool. So I'm going to... I
1: think I saw your sketch of the Jersey Devil. I that haven't... was really cool. Thanks.
4: I've been sketching the Jersey Devil a lot, as you can imagine. And so uh, that book is done now. It needs to be edited, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I'd love to find a publisher. If not, I'm happy to self-publish. So we'll see what happens with that. I also just got the rights back to my other two books, Painted Black, A mm-hmm. Guide to Gothic Homemaking, and What is Goth. And so I don't know that I'd put them back into print, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely considering making e-book versions of them. Cool musically i am presently recording or about to start recording my next album which is going to be called bi and it is a collection of star trek and star wars parody songs nice most of them about sex there's a song on there called the trouble with tribbles the punchline is they're fuzzy and they're cute but i can never find the hole that tells you anything and then uh, there's the title track, Trexual. is an argument. It's a duet, and it's an argument between a, a Star Trek fan and a Star Wars fan. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, they try to maybe come to terms and become <laughs> uh so they can stop arguing. And that, you know, the, the album really was inspired by George Takei and his mm-hmm. uh, Space Peace video, quite yeah, frankly. Absolutely. So uh, I start recording that probably next week. I hope to have it done in time for Dragon Con. On the film front, I made a short film last year called Odokuro. It's the fifth in my series of Camaroscope movies. Those are short films that kind of pick up where the MTV and Sci-Fi Channel Station IDs left off. Okay. They're short, they're stop motion, they're weird as hell, and they're all narrated by singers. So, so far in the series, uh, the narrators have been Debbie Harry of Blondie, Richard Butler of the Psychedelic Furs, Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, Danny Elfman, oh, and cool. this new one is narrated by Gary Newman. Oh. and so, so how film, cool
1: is that to be able to work with kind of heroes, obviously yeah, heroes yeah, and yours? I mean, it's a like, project a, like
4: this. it's a strange scam. You know, it feels it always feels like a strange scam. It's like because you know, I make these films and I'm very uh, what's the word I'm looking for very sincere you know about the love that I have for these films and I'm very sincere about the fact that I feel like they should be narrated by singers because it is kind of you know this series inspired by liquid television and that that whole sort of uh, early MTV station ID movement and so I really felt from the beginning they needed to be uh, narrated by singers. But every time I approach a new singer to narrate the films, I'm always like secretly thinking, like, wow, I hope I get to work with this person. <laughs> uh, and Danny Elfman was—that was a big trip, you know, going to his studio and working with him. And
1: oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. I've been listening to Oingo Boingo since high school. He—he
4: so. he was amazing. He was incredibly gracious and really, really kind. And uh, I was in awe. I, I was actually <laughs> in awe. It was—it was embarrassing, actually, to be honest with you. Because he read through the script three times, and it sounded so great, and I was so in awe that I never gave him any direction. Mm -hmm. So after he read through the script three times, he, he just stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, um... Voltaire, you know you can, you can <laughs> let me know if you want something a little differently. And like I realized that I, I wasn't directing; you know, I was, I was sitting like, there. Spectating. No, no, you're great, man. <laughs> that's pretty much what I said. You know, uh, try, try, try this line with a little bit more bravado. You know, like I had to come up with some bullshit because I was so embarrassed. Telling Jack Skellington to have more bravado, right? Right, and, and, and actually, I, you know, I sometimes I forget that that's what was going through my mind. I honestly do, but that's what was going through my mind. I was like holy shit Jack Skellington is narrating my film that's awesome it was pretty fantastic so anyway so Odokuro was finished last year I did a very limited festival run last year I only did three or four festivals it won best animated film at Dragon Con Film Festival and Best special effects at the Terror Film Festival, and then this year it does its real festival run. I hit all the festivals with it. So um.
1: shit, how did we miss you? We just had the Boneback Comedy of Horrors Film Festival in April, a month oh, ago. God. I got I got to talk to you for next year, I, man.
4: You do have to talk to me for next year. I'm going to go with you're probably not on without a box. <laughs> yeah, we're not because I have to tell you, it just it makes life so much simpler when film festivals when you can enter them through withoutabox.com yeah. because I can when I finish a film. I could just sit on withoutabox.com and look at all of the film festivals and say, of these, you know, 5,000 film festivals, which hundred of them are most likely to want to screen my movie? Mm -hmm. The ones that are not on Without a Box, you really have to go and search for them. Yeah, that's that's true. So that's why. Yeah, so that's that's like a little slice of what's going on right now. Okay. Oh, and how could I forget? You know, like one of the big focal points of my of my life right now is the lair of Voltaire. And it's, it's just so silly, but it's become like a really big part of my life. It's just a series of vlogs I'm doing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I've started vlogging and finally got a halfway, well, I shouldn't say halfway decent camera. It's a really nice camera. And I'm super excited. And I just, me and my zombie co-host, Mr. Orville Dedenbacher. <laughs> I shouldn't call him a zombie. Zombies are animated. He's really just a desiccated corpse <laughs> with a nasty sense of humor, <laughs> which you only find out through thought bubbles because, right. you know, he, does, he, he doesn't speak. But uh, I just love making these vlogs, you know, so people send in questions and they do uh, Ask Voltaire vlogs and... I do a series called How to Play, where I teach people how to play my songs. I do a series called World Premiere Songs, where I play songs for the first time before I've ever played them live. Oh, nice. Yeah. so. The next world premiere song is my very first Doctor Who song ever. Wow. As you might imagine, it's called It's Bigger on the Inside. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's it refers to what you think it does. <laughs> and I'm actually going to put that one on bitractual. Okay. Which technically oh, makes That's going to throw off your That well, makes the album tri The nerds are going
1: to get confused.
4: <laughs> I don't know, you're stupid preposterous. This song is about neither Star Trek nor Star Wars. May you neither live long nor prosper, sir. <laughs>
1: alright man Well, the last question I'll ask you that we ask all of our guests
4: here on the Bone Bat Show Voltaire what pisses you off you know there. at this point there's so many things I'm really becoming like an old curmudgeon there's so much that pisses me off that I could probably you know break your recording device with the hours of <laughs> rants that I could go through so I'm just going to throw out one because it's one that comes up so often okay piracy Yeah, Piracy really pisses me off because there's all of these bizarre justifications for Mm -hmm. it. You know, like, I mean, at the the end of the day, basically what you're saying is I love this artist, but I don't want to pay for this. So I'm going to steal from. So (laughs) I'm just going to take it and I don't care if he can feed his son or not. And that's really at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to. And then people have all these justifications for it. They're like, dude, I'm promoting you. I get that a lot. Like, how could you be angry at me? I'm promoting you. I illegally downloaded your song. No one says illegally downloaded, of course. You know, (laughs) like, I I got your song. I borrowed it like a cup of sugar. Right, from Pirates Bay. (laughs) And then I put it on YouTube to share with my 10 friends or my 100 friends or 1,000 friends. So I'm doing you a favor because I'm promoting you. So then I think to myself, well, okay, so now, so you didn't feel like you needed to pay for it, though. That's cool. Because you figured that one of your 10 friends would pay for it. Mm. But they probably don't feel they need to pay for it either. But they're going to help me by spreading it further, putting it up on some locker sites, putting it up on Pirates Bay. So now several thousand people, you know, it's getting promoted to. And, and basically what it comes down to is that it's this passing of the buck. Yeah. Like all of these people know deep in their hearts that somebody somewhere has to pay. It's just not going to be that.
1: Well, and as a, you know, we try to champion independent music on the Bone Bat Show. And from a fan standpoint, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I want to hear the next When You're Evil, and that's why I want to pay for your CD. I
4: appreciate that. Believe me, when and I believe that's, me, you there know. are very, very simple, like financial realities to this stuff. I mean, just to give you a simple one, my last album cost maybe thirty thousand dollars for me to make because mm-hmm. I pay everyone. Yeah. I pay all the musicians, I pay the studio, I pay the artist who painted the cover. You know, I have to pay for the pressing, I have to pay for the mixing, I have to pay for the mastering. Like, this is all money that's going out. And then the album gets out there, and then people go, oh, cool, I'll download it. I'm not going to pay for it, though. So as a person who is, is looked to by my family to pay the rent, yeah, to put food on the table, you know, I have to somehow... Sit down and justify whether I can afford to spend the money again to do another one. Like, I honestly have to sit down and think about that. People don't think about that. And the really messed up thing is that me even mentioning this makes me like enemy number one because people don't want to hear it. They just want the free music. They want to believe that we live in a utopia. And I will be the first to sign up for everything's free (laughs) the second I can go into a grocery store and everything is free and I can feed my family with free groceries but until that day comes I'm in a real dilemma having said all of that my music's always been free and this is another thing people don't really understand I'm a huge fan of the concept that no one should ever have to buy anything that they don't know whether or not they're gonna like So if you go to voltaire.net you can hear every song I've ever recorded in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Honestly, in fact, you never ever have to buy an album. You could go to voltaire.net and you can sit on my website and listen to every album in its entirety. As long as you don't mind, you know, having to be online, having to be on my website, you know, of course the second that you want to burn it onto a CD or listen to it in your car or whatever, you know, well then you should either buy the album or you should, you know, illegally download it, I suppose. <laughs> but so people get angry at me for saying these things, but I've always basically given my music away for free because I feel that people should be able to sit down and listen to it and say, I think this is worth buying. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what, I listened to it a couple times and it didn't really do anything for me, so I don't ever need to listen to it again. No harm, no foul.
1: Well, just so our listeners, we're going to mention it in the next segment
4: anyway, where can we buy your stuff? Um, God, that's a good question. Well, I would just say go to Voltaire.net. There's a store there, and that store will direct you to, um, you know, some of the cool things that uh, that I sell myself out of basically the lair of Voltaire. (laughs) Like, you know, the key pendants and the commander of unicorn uh, medals and stuff like that. But it also has links to where you can get all of the music. And the really cool thing is, you know, I sell my music through CD Baby, I sell my music through iTunes, and honestly, a a very large percentage of the 99 cents you spend on a song, finds its way back to me. Nice. Which I think is, you know, this is a really amazing time for music. Just as it's like the wild, wild west, and it's really scary in a lot of ways, it's also a really amazing time for music because indie artists like myself can go directly to an audience and say, here's a song, you can listen to it on my website. If you don't like it, that's totally cool. And if you do like it, you can buy it on iTunes for 99 cents. You know, the days of people having to buy an entire album for one song are over. And I fully support that.
1: Yeah, the the days where you you bought a
4: shitty album. Yeah, you know, like, oh, there's this one great Two two songs are good. The rest of it is dog shit. You know, the the days of having to skip past songs that you don't like, but you paid for. (laughs) Those days are over, and I'm happy for that. I think that you should only ever have to pay for what you love. And that's really what it comes down to to me. If you love it and you want to see it keep going... Support Exactly. Support independent music. If you don't love it, that's cool, man. Don't, don't buy it. Don't cool. All
1: right, man. Well, uh, what song would you like our listeners to hear free right now?
4: Uh, I think we should take it out with the title track from the most recent album, Riding a Black Unicorn Down the Side of an Erupting Volcano While Drinking from a Chalice Filled with the Laughter of Small Children. Is that all going to fit on iTunes? No. (laughs) I don't think it does. (laughs) You get an error message, probably.
1: All right, man. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us here on The Bone Bat Show.
4: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Once again, that was riding a black unicorn down the side of an erupting volcano while drinking from a chalice filled with the laughter of small children.
5: Jeez, that's like (laughs) the Nickel Slots website or something. (laughs) Wow. I can't believe I said all that. I can't either. Once again.
1: So uh, just just to do a a little quick uh, Crypticon recap, I got to say, man, out of the last four years, this has been my favorite Crypticon. I've had the most fun of any since they left seattle they used to have it in seattle center uh two years ago they moved up to everett last year they were down at the uh, airport area and this year they returned to that same hotel at the hilton and i had just a blast this year um this year everything was clicking there were always movies playing always shorts there's always something to do and i didn't feel like i wasted any time it was just like main lighting horror for two and a half days and it was fucking cool i loved it
5: you know what i love what listening to you talk about conventions
1: well oh, thank you I, I knew that you do so let yeah. me give you a just a quick rundown uh, friday night oh, i got we're there still doing this yes uh, connected with voltaire got the interview that you just heard i hope you enjoyed it following that uh got to sit on a panel about indie theaters in seattle like different places alternative places that you could go to watch films
5: and right yeah, now, anyone actually show up to this panel, or was it like right <laughs> against the? I don't
1: know. No, you know what? Iron this Gate, one, this one know. was an awesome conversation. It had Justin Giallo, who uh, he's a projectionist at the Grand Theater in Tacoma. Uh, Tony K, Eric from Myth, Clinton from SIF. I mean, you had like a bunch of people who were involved in independent film, and just being there and listening to everybody talk. There was like three people in the audience. But it was fascinating conversation. <laughs> it was seriously just it was like a bunch of people just sitting around talking movies. And you know, all the different theaters that are currently, you know, working to put together like a series of films and special screenings and you know, it, it kinda makes you feel that like we're pretty lucky to live in the Seattle area because there's always something going on. You know, if you live in a small town, I mean you might not be able to see, you know, a lot of old Italian horror or Kind of Mondo Cinema and just crazy stuff like that. But here in Seattle, there's a pretty good chance if you you know keep your eye open that you're going to be able to catch some of these things. And so it's just kind of pretty cool that we happen to live in such a, a rich place for films.
5: By we, you mean you.
1: Yeah, well, myself and other horror fans in Seattle, I guess. Oh. Then Saturday morning, of course, we did the Bone Bat Saturday morning cartoon party, which was uh, a lot of fun. I uh, stuck in a number of old favorites, and uh, I think everyone enjoyed that. I uh, had a nice turnout. About half the room was full, so that was cool. I uh, did a panel with uh, Brother D and Chris from Twisted Geeks and uh, Eloise J. Knapp. There was a guy named Michael who's also a book author. And it, was, it was basically zombies don't run and vampires don't sparkle. Why do we argue about the things that we argue about? You know, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun actually. And we ended up just kind of talking more about zombies than anything, and uh, a lot of cool movie suggestions came up out of that one. One was a, a film from 1976, I think, called Dead and Buried. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think I have. It's on Netflix right now, and it's definitely worth checking out. It is a strange little film about like there's this small town in the northeast, kind of like a Stephen King sort of a vibe town. And whenever tourists or strangers swing through town, they get killed by the townsfolk. Oh, that's bad for tourists. But then they end up turning up again later as a new member of the community. And so there's, there's all kinds of, you know, kind of cool actors to see around. The guy who played, what is his name? Uh, Eddie Albert, the guy who played the grandpa in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Plays like the town mortician.
5: Cool.
1: And it has like a cool story. You don't know where it's going. And there's a nice twist at the end. And I'd say, you know, if you're wanting just something that you weren't expecting, you should check out Dead and Buried. I really liked it. It was good. And there's a couple other movies that uh, I still have to check out. Uh, There's one called, I guess, Rombach Berlin Undead or something. That's a zombie flick that's also on Netflix. So I'm keeping an eye out for that, too. So that was definitely worth the time just for the positive film suggestions. Following that, I got to moderate the Northwest Haunts panel, which uh, had folks from Nightmare at Beaver Lake, Pierce County Asylum, and Haunted Nightmare, who have moved to, remember they were the one that was very small, they were in like a bounce house sort of facility? Yeah. And they've actually moved to like an outdoor barn type of an area in Snohomish County, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do next year, because they're going to have a lot more room. But Will they have a
5: bounce house? I hope so.
1: Following that, I uh, checked out the Tri-Cities International Fantastic Film Fest, or T-C-I-F-3, I guess.
2: fest. they call that... it
1: To Kiss? They do not. No. Uh, they featured a number of films that were in consideration for Bone Bat. Uh, we saw Doll Parts there, The Hike, uh, Summer of the Zombies, which I know is a big favorite of yours. And uh, also, uh, Patrick Ray, who we've featured shorts from him the last two years with uh, Get Off My Porch and Copy this year, had one called Now That You're Dead, which is a a very cool little vampire flick that you can find online. I'll actually put a link to that one since it's it's readily available. I'll put a link to that one on the site. So check that out. But it's a very cool little flick. And uh, I had a great time. That was a very nice block of shorts. And then following that... We had the Bone Bat Film Festival after party screening, which unfortunately was up against a bunch of other stuff. Like half the crowd left after the TCI three screening and uh, it wasn't a lot of people, but it was more than enough to hand out the autographed doll boy coloring books that oh, yeah. I received from director Billy Pond.
5: How cool is that? That is um, awesome.
1: Yeah, he didn't have to do that. And not only coloring books, he sent boxes of crayons for everybody too. <laughs> So it was awesome. It was cool to see Dollboy on the big screen. In red,
5: right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: I was surprised actually because I looked in there. I was expecting four red crayons in the yeah, whole box. Yes, it's red, red, red. <laughs> no, red. But no, it wasn't. But it was still. It was cool to see those things again. You know, it was a modest turnout, but I think the people who did stick around had a great time. So that was it for uh, Saturday night, and then I returned home. Sunday, the kids wanted to come down, and my son had never been to Crypticon before. And so uh, we brought him in, walked around, and it was really cool. I mean, kids get treated well at, a, at an event like that. Yeah. You know, uh, Thad was walking around and he talked to the guy. He's grown up now, but his last name is James. He's the actor who played in the movie Tremors. And mm-hmm. Thad had actually seen that movie. And so he was like, wow, you were in that? That was really cool, you know? And, right then, and then I was, I was I can't remember who I was talking to. and. Dad wanders off for a minute, and then he comes back, and he has a signed picture of Sonny Landom. who, he is the actor from uh, 48 Hours. He was one of the criminals, the Native American criminal who breaks out of prison. Oh yeah, and he, he was also in Predator. He was one of the military yeah, guys. Yeah, what you mean? Yeah, so he wanders over, and he's got a signed picture of Sonny Landon from Predator. And I said, "Where'd you get that?" He says, "Well, I was standing over there by the table, and I asked him about his pictures, and he said they're twenty bucks, kid." And I said, "I didn't have twenty bucks," and so he goes, "Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this one. I signed it to somebody named George, and he never came back, so you can have this." <laughs> So my son ended up with a signed picture of Sonny Landon that says to George, which I'm sure he won't forget that. It was he also cool. just named it George. I kind of feel bad because I'm a moderate fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I, I wouldn't say that that's like one of my favorite films and I, I own it, but I, have, I don't watch it very often. And we stopped by Marilyn Burns' table, who is the woman who plays Sally, who just does all the screaming. She's like the main protagonist woman in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was really cool because, you know, my son starts asking, How did you get all this blood on you? And she's, Oh, sweetie, that was chocolate syrup and Cairo syrup. And oh, I stunk and it was sticky and it was 110 degrees. She's telling all these stories about, you know, making Texas Chainsaw Massacre to the kids and it was really good kid stories i know and it was really cool because you know she's like oh it wasn't scary when you're there it's just hot and it's tiring <laughs> i mean she's talking about like this experience and the night before i had just been reading the doug bradley book to prepare for the interview and in his book half the book is his experiences but he also interviews a bunch of other uh actors who play horror characters and Gunnar Hansen, Leatherface, was one of them. And so I had, I had just read that chapter. And so I was like, well, yeah, I was just reading that Gunnar Hansen, you know, it was 110 degrees, and he had to wear that same costume. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, they couldn't even wash that thing because they only had one costume for him for the whole shoot of the film. It was so low budget. And so he's wearing the same costume day after day. It was like a month shoot, and the thing just stinks to high heaven. <laughs> and you just tell these great stories. and I, You know, I wish it was at the time. I kind of felt like I wasn't prepared for an interview like that. And I really would have liked to spend more time talking to her. So I hope I bump into her again because she was an absolute sweetheart. That's great. And so, you know, the kids had a great time. They actually, one of the rooms they had set aside was like a classic video game arcade. And they had like the Elvira pinball machine and Space Invaders and Area 51. And they had the two-gun version of House of the Dead. And it was God, so cool, cool to see my daughter and my son playing House of the Dead together. <laughs> As a horror fan, it just kind of choked me up a little bit, man. Oh, and one other thing. The purchase of the day for my son was uh, Matt Youngmark is a book author who I had met at Northwest Con last year, I think. And he does a series of choose-your-own-adventure books. And yet his latest one is called Zombocalypse. And you portray in the book, or you, you guide a pink stuffed rabbit who gets involved in a zombie apocalypse. There's 112 endings to this book, but only seven of them do you survive.
5: And let me tell you, this book, based on your recommendation, I bought it. Yes. I have got a couple of kids, 12 year old, 9 year old, they're both digging the book. They're both (laughs) handing it back and forth. Clearly it is written more for a 12, 13, 14 year old kid But
1: it is a little and there's like a damn and a hell. There's a little of the the minor curse words in it.
5: But it's all Oh, and, yeah, and there's also some kind of large words. It's it's doable. If a kid's yeah. into it enough, it's doable.
1: Yeah, but even, you know, I mean, your kids read Calvin and Hobbes, right? Sure. <laughs> so big words aren't going to stunt our children. No, no, transmorgophile,
3: you know? What the hell? Yeah,
1: exactly. My son hasn't had any problems with Zombocalypse, and it was funny because we're driving home, and he's kind of, okay, come on, Dad, I want to go, I want to go, I want to read my book. He wants to leave the convention so he can read his book. (laughs) So we get in the car, and about 15 minutes, he's dead silent. And then out of the back, we hear, well, that could have gone better. Flip, 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 flip. (laughs) (laughs) So good job, Matt. Very cool book, and I highly recommend Zombocalypse. Everybody should check it out. But uh, yeah, Crypticon 2012 was a big hit. I had a fantastic time, got some great interviews, and I'm looking forward to next year.
5: And I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it next year. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. You have a political rant this week. I got a couple of political points. Not really a rant. Today, when we record this, is election day. And there's a big, big, crazy recall election going on in Wisconsin. Very divided, very divisive. And here's my prediction, little prediction. Whichever side wins, even though it's like 50-50, it's probably going to be decided by like three and a half votes. Whichever side wins is going to make a little bit of noise about reconciling and all pulling together, and then will quickly turn and act like they got 90% of the vote and start talking about mandate and how totally fucking right they are, and they'll go even more extreme in whatever direction they pull. And I don't even know... If they know who's won the election yet. But that's my prediction. You you win by like one sixteenth of a percent and you act like it's a freaking landslide. You just watch. See if I'm wrong. Mandate from the masses, right? Yeah. yeah. Alright, here's another thing. The the Wisconsin thing has got me thinking about overpaid, fat municipal employees and their their fat contracts and fat pensions and lazy don't do nothing. God damn! I want to hand out gold star here. Because right here in the little town that I live in, there is some city employee who absolutely kicks seven shades of ass at his job. And I was standing around just kind of admiring what a, what a flipping great job this guy did. The stereotype of these employees may be true in many cases, but there are some guys out there that are doing their job really flipping well. Here where I live... You take all your lawn clippings, all your tree limbs, all your organic matter, uh, you know, vegetable matter, and you throw it out in the street and you make piles like that are supposed to be like six foot by six foot piles. And then they come by with what my kids call a clipper truck. It's like a great big tractor with mandibles on the front that like scissors up these piles of brush and then deposits them in the back of a dump truck. And then they go and I don't know, they they distill it and turn it into grain alcohol and sell it to people or something. But... (laughs) It's a great way for getting rid of, especially when you've done like major hedge pruning or something, you got 85 cubic yards of brush to get rid of. So I look out on my street in the morning and various houses in my neighborhood are all at the same time doing some sort of major construction, painting, remodel project. So in addition to these piles of brush that people put out, people like me, they're all boxed in by all these work trucks. Like all these painters and everyone have parked in my neighborhood like, backed up, fronted up to these piles of brush, so they're, they're boxed in. It's, it would be really hard for someone in, say, a very large tractor-clipper truck thing to get at these things. And I'm looking at I'm like, well, we're going to see that tomorrow. That's hanging around till next week. I'll be damned if this guy didn't go and, like, deftly pick up every frickin' pile of brush in my neighborhood from in between all these vehicles without smashing into a single one. Wow. Good on you, man. I I am happy to pay taxes for that kind of work. Because his options really were look at, you know, he's looking at, well, I can hit the truck and I will get hell. Or I can just leave that pile there and probably no one's going to complain about a couple of piles left. Right on, man. Way to to do your job. As a person who has attempted to operate large machinery with wheels on it and broken it, I can appreciate how hard it is. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Cool. Hey, wasn't I in a truck with you that you backed up and you, like, crashed the trailer or something? Yeah, I
1: think that was uh, our track coach's truck, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, and weren't you in a truck that I tried to back up pulling a trailer and managed to, like, bend the, the trailer to the point of it the metal actually tearing? Yeah. Were you in the truck with me Could when that happened? Could have been. Yeah. That's not my thing. That's not my forte. <laughs> Backing up trailers? No, that's, yeah. not, that's no, a challenge anything for Anything with metal and wheels on yeah. it. Not my forte. So, I, I don't know. Was well, that a rant? Probably not, but that's my political opinion
1: for the day. I had a, uh, actually a request from our friend Benza in Germany. He wanted to Did it know... involve
5: you wearing a outfit of any sort? Yeah,
1: lederhosen,
5: no. Okay.
1: Uh, actually, he uh, wanted to know your thoughts on the expatriate act. The who, what, the do it? Uh, evidently, this is a, a law that they're trying to put in place based upon uh, that guy from Facebook, that Eduardo Saverin.
5: The guy that fled the country so he wouldn't have to pay taxes? Yeah,
1: yeah. he's going to He went to Singapore <laughs> right before uh, Facebook went public. And so the thought is that he did so to avoid paying taxes on the, his massive profits. And so the politicians from his home state or whatever are trying to enact this law essentially to penalize one man.
5: Is <laughs> okay. what... First, I've heard of it. But anytime you try to pass a law based on being pissed off at one guy, unless the guy, you know what? No, I'm not even going to put any caveats on that. Even if the guy is like Saddam Hussein or whatever the fuck. Bad call. You don't make a great big giant law that covers everyone because you're pissed at one guy. If what he did was legal and he he decided to like renounce his citizenship and go somewhere else, well, that's his priority. Like they say, it's a free country. Still, (laughs) douchey move. And you know what? Trying to pass a law to dump on the douche. Even douche move. It's douche upon douche here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about the law, so if I got it totally wrong, or Steve got it totally wrong, yell at me, I don't care.
1: Okay, well, why don't we uh, listen to another tune? Let's do it. This is from the 2002 album Boo Hoo by Voltaire. This song is Brains.
0: Right, I'm a reasonable guy. Don't be frightened by the look in my eye. I'm just your average evil meteor from out of the sky. Well, I'm just shy and scared in this place. I'm just a fish out of water from outer space. You can see that the trip has left me tired and drained. So, why don't you be a pal and bring me some brains? Expression on his face, you'd be doing him a favor if you brought him to me. He ain't using his brain, he's just watching TV. He
6: go
0: down to Mr. McGee's. He hasn't had a thought since '43. His brain is the portrait of atrophy. He ain't using it. Why not give it to me? Brains, brains, I I'll eat the brain so the i Sure, they might think it's deranged, but they won't give it a thought after I've eaten their brain. brain, brain. It's okay. It's not a matter if it isn't great. And if that first day they get strange, they won't. just can't stop. I suck the noodle right out of the heads, and half an hour later, I'm hungry again. Creep into the donut stop sneaking tiptoe past the cop. Pick me up a crawler and a couple of tea, and any hey, other sweetbreads you happen to see. Brains, brains, I won't lie. I'll eat the brains to the zombie pie. Sure, they might think it's deranged, but well, they won't give it a thought after I've eaten their brains. Brains, brains, it's okay! It's not a matter of it, is isn't gray? And if that first day they get strange, they won't think twice if they don't have a brain. I these No time to cook in rumbling. I gotta need to fill it. I don't cry, i the needle, I just grab myself.
7: Hi, this is Doug Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you are listening to The Bone Bat. And you'd better keep listening, or I will tear your soul.
0: Is born Because within these walls The unholy is unleashed Hellraiser, a film by Clive Barker We'll tell your soul apart.
1: Alright, once again, this is Steve from the Bonebat Show here at CryptoCon Seattle 2012, and I am so very fortunate to be spending a few minutes talking to Doug Bradley, Pinhead himself. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Are you enjoying Seattle?
7: Yes, I am. Well, I've done about Seattle... <laughs> I've seen the airport and the hotel so far. Not,
1: not a lot of sightseeing yeah, so far. No. <laughs> like probably most folks, I first discovered your work through that of Clive Barker. I was okay. a fan of Books of Blood. And of course, I was thrilled to see the film Hellraiser
7: when it came out.
1: Now, c- tell me, how did you meet Clive Barker?
7: Uh, at high school in Liverpool, in England, in rehearsals for the school play. So
1: you actually had been collaborating with Clive for... 13 years before Hellraiser came out?
7: Oh, longer than that. I mean, I'm talking about the very end of the 60s. Uh, I've known him for 40 years. So by the time we got together to to do Hellraiser, yeah, probably nearer 20. More like uh, about 17 years, I would say.
1: One of the great quotes in your book, I've actually been reading, Behind the Mask of the Horror Actor, okay. and I've uh, been thoroughly enjoying it. I-, I love how you kind of took many actors' bios, kind of just speak to their experience, and I like how you counterposed that with kind of a history of horror actors, and right. it-, it makes for a fascinating read. Okay. And cool. one of the quotes that you said about Clive was that he has a talent at making you feel included. And I've done a number yes. of book signings with the man, and he always takes a few minutes to speak to each fan who comes up and draw him a picture and make eye contact, and that was a wonderful way of putting
7: always it. Always drawing the demons for the fans, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't make life easy for himself, you because know, <laughs> he always has a line that goes on forever, and you think you just want to scribble his name and boss everybody through, but no, every, everybody gets a moment, everybody gets a conversation, everybody gets a demon, yeah.
1: Has it been a wonderful collaborative effort? I mean, in addition to the Hellraiser films, we've also done Nightbreed with him. You've yeah.
7: done a lot of plays over the years? Well, we've done... The, the theater work We had, uh, was really in kind of a 10-year period before Hellraiser, or at least up to about 82, and then uh, we didn't do anything together until Hellraiser. Hellraiser Nightbreed, he was still involved with uh, the second Hellraiser film. And uh, Bloodline, the fourth movie, he was still involved. The other sequels he wasn't involved in, and although we've kept in touch over the years, that's really really been it. The only other thing I've done directly with him was recording the audiobook of Mr. Be Gone. Oh, okay. But uh, we're still very much in, in touch with each other.
1: Now, uh, to talk a little bit about your portrayal of Pinhead.
7: Yeah. I, I've
1: found that it's a very interesting sort of icon, and in your book you actually, you mentioned about uh, I don't know if it harkens back to uh, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, and that kind of period of horror actor but uh, you had mentioned that you're often compared or mentioned in the same breath with Robert England. And uh, I love this quote. I'm constantly being invited to make comparisons between Freddy and Pinhead, like we're some kind of demonic gang leaders fighting for control of the neighborhood. I love love that quote. And the one thing that occurred to me is, you know, kind of hearkening back, both you and Robert, your faces, you are recognizable as that character. Whereas, you know, Leatherface, The Shape, Jason, they're all masked. But you, when you're acting, it's you, and you can see that in, that, in a similar way with with Freddie, and that makes you unique horror icon. Well, I'm, in no, that I'm way. very
7: rarely recognized <laughs> a, a, away from uh, horror conventions. Really? Oh, Obviously Maybe because I'm a horror Yeah. No, it, it happens occasionally, infrequently enough to surprise me. But I also I have fun with the anonymity. You know, when we get round to comes, you know, so, so what do you do? Well, I'm an actor. Oh, really? The... Would I know you from anywhere? Do you watch horror films? Yeah. You've seen you see Hellraiser? Oh, I couldn't watch that. The guy with the pins in his head freaked me out completely. Oh Why, were you in that? Yes. (laughs) So my anonymity holds fairly good. Oh, yes. I mean I've been in you know, in public places with Robert, he's recognized everywhere. Uh And I'm not, you know. Pisses him off. Dude. <laughs> I can I can carry on uh, anonymously, but H- have a dinner
1: without being yes, interrupted. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing that, that interests me about Pinhead is the fact that unlike many of the other modern horror icons, in a way, Pinhead is almost a good guy. If you're not a bad guy, or at least looking for trouble, you're not going to run foul of the Cenobites. No,
7: th- that's true. And I think I've said that in, in, in my own mind, when I first knew I, that I was doing Hellraiser and playing Pinhead, though he then had no name uh, in the first film, that I was playing the monster in a horror movie. And, but actually, reading the screenplay and approaching filming it, no, he's not really the monster. And Clive was very careful, I think, to make this distinction. He... he Similar to, to what he did in, in Nightbreed, in a way, you know, in Nightbreed, the monsters are the good guys. Yeah, absolutely. The humans are the monsters. And all the breed wants is to be left alone, to you know, live their life beneath the cemetery. The humans won't let them. So, similarly, in Hellraiser, Pinhead is a neutral character in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He's like an impartial judge. Frank and Julia are the monster. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So that was very much my kind of feeling about it. Inevitably as the sequels came along he had to move to being, you know, the bad guy, I guess, for want of a better description. But I think we still managed to keep him in that kind of neutral territory. And as you say quite rightly, he's not like a boogeyman hiding around the dark corner with the stiletto blade waiting to jump. Him. You have to find out about the existence of the Lament configuration. You have to track one down. You have to solve the puzzle with the right motivation. If Pinhead himself says in, in Hellbound, it is not hands that fall off, it is desire. So the motivation has The girl, has the girl
1: who solves the puzzle uh, box, who's okay. an innocent... Stephanie, yes, yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. and yeah. Pinhead says no, no not her. And the other Cenobites are like,
7: "What? Yeah, I was going to do one. this." Yes. <laughs> what do you mean? No, it's lunch right there. No. no. Um. Yeah, and even then, he wants to stop and, and have a good chat um, about a things. conversation. Yes. yes. Then he'll take your soul, but you know, all, all in good time, you know. Absolutely. So that yeah, you're quite right. If you, if you go through your life without becoming interested in that world and having the motivation to find your way into it then it's never going to trouble you except for Hellraiser 3 when you know accidentally in that nightclub you were (laughs) fucked basically but uh, you know that's tough
1: I've got a question about the makeup. I, I'm a yeah. pretty clumsy guy, so I've always wondered. You, you are wearing nails on your head. Yes. Have you ever had an accident like bumping into a door or just run into something where you're like, "Ow, no, that
7: hurts"? Uh, luckily, he's you know he's not much of an action guy. He doesn't move around a great deal, and when he does, he does it very slowly and very deliberately. He spends most of his time standing still. Well, I, was, um, I always suspected be like coming out of the trailer or something like that. <laughs> You'd like run into something. There must have been moments, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't remember.
1: Right. Another film that you uh, had a, a small role in recently that I enjoyed was The Cottage.
7: Okay, right. How did you get involved with that film? Wow. The writer and director of The Cottage was the son of a friend of my ex-sister-in-law. <laughs> A Still bit with convoluted, <laughs> and uh, when he became an actor, where I actually went for a drink with him and just chatted about acting and the profession and so forth, uh, he contacted me, mm. uh, asked me to do it. So and it was it was a fun little cameo role. So I said, yeah, sure, cool.
1: So in 2011, after eight films as Pinhead, yeah, Dimension came to you at the last minute. For yes. a hastily put together ninth yes. Hellraiser film, you were given no time. They showed it in one screening at a big theater, and then it went straight to video.
7: Oh, they sh- they showed it in theater. Well, that's more. That, that's than what I understand. That's, that's more than they'd done with the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> after Bloodline, they dumped them to DVD from Inferno Forwards.
1: Now, as far as I know, that was strictly an exercise to maintain the rights for the films,
7: correct? Well, I don't want to... I, I can't well, that's keep, the way I understand yeah, it. it's okay. the way I understand it. What I'm saying is I can't, you know, anything that I say next is only my opinion. It may right. not be true. I don't know. But okay. what I was told, actually, it was 2010 when I was contacted, not by Dimension Films. It was actually Gary Tunnicliffe who contacted me. Gary had done my makeup for the last five movies. Mm. He contacted me, so the version of events that I had was that someone in the legal department of Dimension Films had noticed that if they didn't, and this is is July 2010 uh, that I get this call, if they didn't have a movie in front of the cameras by September the 3rd, they would lose the rights to the franchise. So there was a terrible panic and a scramble to get another Hellraiser movie made. Now I'm sorry, but my feeling was, well, okay, so they lose the rights to the franchise. Right. The sun still comes up in the morning. It's their fault for not keeping an eye on their franchise. Right. If they cared a bit more about it, we wouldn't have reached this stage. Yeah, that doesn't show a terrible lot of respect for the No, I say they dumped it on dumped it onto D V D in a tearing hurry. So to be honest, I didn't see why people were falling over themselves to save the Weinstein's bacon. Right. You
1: know? <laughs> and it probably wasn't... If you know, gonna, it doesn't smack it, of quality if you knock out a script in two weeks, right?
7: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, you know, there had been... Well, at that point, it was eight years since I'd last played the parts. Mm-hmm. Eight years in which they'd shown no interest or inclination Mm -hmm. to make a Hellraiser movie and suddenly they have to have one made yesterday. And as I understood it, they had a two-week shooting schedule and a budget of $150,000. And they wanted me in L.A. for two days for the price of a new fridge. So I'm already pretty much certain for all of those reasons that I'm saying no. But I said, okay, send me the script. I saw the script and I didn't like it so I said no Okay. so it was you know, it was my choice I passed on it I don't wish harm to anybody who sets out to make a movie um, and I haven't seen uh, Revelations so I, I can't cast comment on it as a movie as I say I read the script, I've seen the trailer which didn't incline me to think I'd made a bad decision <laughs> right. and everything I'm hearing from the fans is kind of backing me up in that regard. I'm rather bathing in the love for having not made a movie, which is kind of weird.
1: (laughs) Uh, That seems slightly backwards, but in this case, it works.
7: Yes. (laughs) An extraordinary, um, just today, a woman came and bought a bunch of stuff at the table. She got on to Revelations. She had bought the DVD at her store and watched it, and then she, she took the DVD back. She was so outraged by it. She said, I want a refund. And they said, why? And she said, because Doug Bradley's not in it. And this is not a Hellraiser thing. And they gave her a full re- refund. They said, we understand. We agree with you. We're fully in sympathy with you. And gave her her money back. It's fantastic. I wouldn't have done it if it was my store. She should read the small print. Caveat emptor. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so that's... Do you see rather.
1: yourself at some point there being a machination of events that would, would you be able to play Pinhead again? Do you think that if Clive wrote a script, or if, is there any way that that might happen? Yeah. I mean, certainly after eight films, you have some proprietary feeling. One of the, the quotes yes. I read in the book was that, uh, I guess in Hellraiser 3, when you were playing yourself before becoming Pinhead, and mm. you had the stand-in, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that at that point you really didn't like the notion of it, someone else inhabiting that role.
7: No. it was Well, it's, of course... It's, I'd never seen Pinhead before. Yeah. Only as a reflection in, mirror, in a mirror yes, absolutely. of me. Suddenly I walk onto set and there's Pinhead standing there. <laughs> and it was quite freaky and I didn't like it at <laughs> all. I not at all. Whenever say never, they say mm. I have been approached just in the last six months about a Hellraiser TV series. Oh, nice. That would be fantastic. And I was asked if it was anything I'd be interested in. I've said yes, I would be interested. And they've gone ahead and there is an agreement on the table as far as money is concerned. But it's kind of... It's weird because it's kind of in a vacuum at the moment because I've made it clear that I'm not just saying yes. I want to see... Something on paper, or sit down and talk to somebody about what their vision for this series is, what they're planning, how they're planning to do it. Because I think it could work. I think it could be great. I think it could be terrible. And obviously, to some extent, that's the risk you always take. But I'd like to see something. You know, as in, from should be self-evident from what I've just said about Revelations. You know, even even for everything I said, if if Gary had sent me the script for Revelations and I thought had thought it was. A brilliant script. I would probably have said yes. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait and see. As far as I know, although they, as I say, there is effectively a deal in place for me. As as far as I know, they haven't yet got a deal with with yeah. any network. I assume would be talking about one of the cable companies. If it was, if it was terrestrial AMC, TV. FX, their cable AMC networks are doing some nice or, work. Yeah, yeah. or stars or HBO or you know yeah. whatever. I can't see it being. CBS or NBC because yeah, that, that would be the equivalent <laughs> of a PG-13 Hellraiser movie and I don't think I'd be interested in that you know? right. if we're going to do this let's do it yeah. that, so you no. never know okay. and of course Dimension have been talking for nearly five years about remaking the reboot right. yeah well and that always amuses me <laughs> it's, they announce a remake and I think it gives a lot of way that they're actually kind of faintly embarrassed by the notion that yeah. they're remaking the film because as fast as they announce a remake, it's backed up with all these statements. Of, oh no! Of course, it won't be a remake. It'll be a reboot.
1: <laughs> right, which is a nicer way of saying remake
7: now. <laughs> a reimagining, <laughs> even nicer. How the how the fuck do you reimagine Hellraiser? <laughs> it doesn't. It's been imagined, you know, it's pretty well. It's been imagined
1: like a motherfucker, yeah. by, you know, by <laughs> a,
7: a guy with a with a pretty damn good imagination. You don't need to reimagine this. Yes. I'm pretty much on record. We have. The T-shirt right there, no remakes, please. It's a waste of good celluloid. <laughs> uh, is basically my opinion. There's no need to be remaking these films at all. Just you know, leave them be. All
1: right. Well, kind of on a note, looking towards the future, what's next for Doug Bradley?
7: I, I really don't know. I mean, I've just uh, just come back from Bulgaria. I was there playing the lead in um, Wrong Turn Five. Oh, cool. And there's a there's a couple of projects, a couple of scripts I'm actually looking. Out at the moment, which uh, may or may not happen. <laughs>
1: okay. So. Well, we will definitely keep our eyes out to see your next upcoming projects. Okay. Well, thank you. One final question: We always sure. ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bash Show, Doug. Uh, what, what pisses you off?
6: What pisses me off? What pisses you off? Yes. Lots. Of things. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Whether yes, it, anything. It,
7: anything. Some people say traffic, sometimes it's politics. It's, it's, there's always something that pisses people mind, off. I don't mind traffic too much. It's a particular local issue with traffic in Pittsburgh, which is the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Pittsburgh is a terrified of tunnels. Mm. I think it must be a metaphysical thing built into the Pittsburgh psyche. They slow down. The road doesn't get any narrower. It just has a roof on it. <laughs> so, you
3: know, and
7: there are signs saying... Maintain speed through tonic, but they won't do it. I but, know what this is Okay, I'm not
6: ordering things at restaurants. Oh, and fast yes,
7: food yes. Oh, God. Fast food. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, and, and, Subway and waiters and, and, and waiters and waitresses. Yeah, oh, God. Can I get that out of your
6: way? It's You know, you, you, you
7: can't order a meal in America without taking part in a quiz. <laughs> you know, do you want a uh, super salad always? Okay. And then the, you know, so you order the steak, and do you so do you want a salad with it. Do you want uh, French fries, mashed potato, garlic mash, the red skin, mash the sweet potato, mash? What, sorry, start again. Um, do you want? <laughs> salad, how do you want that? You want? What kind of dressing do you want on the salad? How do you want your steak cooked? I, you I've lost track of this now. I do, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. What kind of cheese? <laughs> made from milk will be fine. I don't care whether it's from Switzerland or America or whatever. And then, when you've got your food, sometimes you haven't even got a mouthful and they're back at the table. How's your meal? Is everything all right? How do you find everything? If you leave me be and let me eat my meal, in the meantime you can rest assured, if there's a problem you'll be the first to know about it. Otherwise, you should assume everything's fine. Then take a pause while you're eating and put your silverware down. Oh, don't do that. Can I get that out of your way? You still working on that? You done with that? I get that out of your way? Just leave me alone to eat my damn meal and, you know, it'll be obvious when I've finished because I'll put my knife and fork next to each other on the plate and I'll move the plate to one side. That'll be your signal that I'm done. Again, you'll be the first to know. Yes. (laughs) him at subway <laughs> yeah i get confused in subway there's just there's too much it's too much i don't know and you walk into subway and you ask for
3: foot
7: long cold cut on rosemary and sea salt with for, hang on with a, a, a foot long cold cut italian no, no, no. Cut on rosemary with, rosemary with spinach right with salsa pickle, onion pickled black olive
6: that's year you have to go
7: to school to family. learn and memorize all this stuff. She's am an actor. She's I can't <laughs> learn all this. It's too much. <laughs> She's just heading the quiz off at the pass, you see. But yeah, but but,
2: but you, have to, you have to you have to kind of you plan it in, in advance. Order oh. and move to the side, right? Exactly.
7: Yes. It's like a movie I love is Steve Martin's A hey, Story. Yes. <laughs> Ordering the coffee, the decaf, half caf. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug, well, Honorable. thank
1: you so much for spending a few minutes with us here on the Bone Bad Show. No, I really problem. appreciate your generosity and best of luck with your and upcoming work. If there roles. Are any
7: waitresses listening, I, I love you, really. <laughs> and I always tip well, so you <laughs> All
1: right, once again, that was Brains from Voltaire, followed by my interview with Doug Bradley. I would like to thank Voltaire for his music and for his time this episode. You can find his work, as he mentioned, at Voltaire.net. Also, thank you to Mr. Bradley. It was really cool to get to visit with him. You know, an actor I've been watching for a long time. So, once again, thank you to Doug Bradley as well. Uh,
5: multimedia triage, dude. The triage! Let's do you it. know what I just read? What'd you read? The Sisters Brothers. Have you read that? I have not read that. It is a book by Patrick DeWitt. And it is a, a work of fiction set in California, mostly, okay. during the Gold Rush. And it's about a, a pair of assassins, a pair of brothers with the last name of Sisters. And, yeah, I don't know. It sounds a little uh, off. Neither one is uh, is sisterly at all. But uh, it's just a very cool story, and, and it's a very well-told story. It reminded me a lot of reading... Catcher in the Rye, for some reason, because it's told in the first person by a sort of a protagonist like that, and yet it also reminded me of reading Charles Portis' work, you know, True Grit. It was like Catcher in the Grit. <laughs> it's a cool book. You ought to check it out. Okay. I, they're assigned to go assassinate this man, and uh, the man has uh, has a bit of a mystery about him, and hijinks ensue. Okay, I will uh, keep an eye out for it. And you know what I just watched streaming on Netflix was The Beast, which is a tale of a Soviet tank crew during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, not to be confused with our invasion of Afghanistan. Did
1: what? you say Afghanistan? No, I didn't. I said <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> I thought you were getting a little horror bent in there. <laughs> no.
6: Oh,
1: Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Uh, okay, anyway.
5: No, that's what you use for your Afghan beer, which is in Afghanistan. Ta-ta-ta. That's what you use Two to celebrate Oktoberfest in Afghanistan. Tip your waitress. She's here all <laughs> week. No, so it's sort of a it's sort of a Captain Ahab type character is the tank commander as this tank gets more and more lost in the Afghan wilderness, and things go from bad to worse. It's it's sort of a shitty claustrophobic feeling being stuck in a tank in Afghanistan. I imagine when you don't know where the heck you are, and your tank commander goes progressively more insane. But it was a cool movie. You should check it out. The Beast. Cool.
1: Okay. I will.
5: And on the big screen, you know what I went and saw? What you went and saw an actual movie. An actual movie. I left my home, went out in public where people could see me, and I had to talk to them and stuff. And I saw MIB. I, I I. or Men in Black 3. Did you really? And here's the thing. Okay. Men in Black 3. I like Men in Black. Yeah, I did too. Good it was movie. wacky. It was fun. Will Smith, wise, cracking character. I loved it. You know, good time. Special effects. Ta-da! Big dumb fun. I honestly don't even remember Men in Black 2. I recall that I saw it, but I don't remember a single thing about it. Yeah,
1: which is why I didn't have any sort of... Wow, Men in Black 3 is coming out? Can't wait to see that. I didn't have those sort of feelings at all. I'm pretty was sure the kind end of... of Men in
5: Black 2, they flashed the audience with that little um, forgetter flash beam thing. It <laughs> could be.
1: The so anyway, thing. I saw
5: Men in Black 3, and I had rather low expectations. You know what? What? That is the most intelligent, best Men in Black movie there was. It was not big, dumb fun. There was some of that in it. It was actually... I thought, just kind of a fun, intelligent, a little bit wacky movie. Yeah, so, I liked it. So you're saying the science
1: was solid. No, that's
5: not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Gaga is an alien, though. Usually, totally...
1: usually when you have a problem with a sci-fi film, it's because the science was a bit soft.
5: <laughs> yeah, the science was way soft, like <laughs> a squishy rat. But thats I'm not going there on this. I liked it. You ought to check it out. Go, don't go with super high expectations. I, you know, I did give it a four, but it was the best in the series. It is the least funny. It is the least over the top.
1: Huh. Well, I, I guess I'll have to watch for it. I don't know if I'll get out to uh, see it this weekend because
5: Prometheus. Yeah, there's a lot that's about to happen. Prometheus.
1: To God, I hope yeah. it's good. I, I wanted uh, that movie better not. I suck. want it to be good so bad. The, and I The mean,
5: commercials, the, the previews for it scare me so bad. I actually pee myself every time I see the preview.
1: And it's like Alien 3, I was so pissed off by the start of that film that it took me like almost the entire film to get over it. (laughs) And then Alien Resurrection, the end of it, the final alien creature looked so shitty and the character design was so bad, it ruined everything up until that point for me. So I'm just hoping I can get through this unscathed with a good film experience where they don't fuck the pooch at some point. Me too. That's my big hope. But, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming. Did you see uh, Savages? Have you seen the trailer for that? No. Don Winslow, dude. Cool. And it's, like, done. It's, like, the trailers done. are it's complete. Like really done it's going to be, like, soon. Yeah. And then uh, Anchorman 2.
5: Yeah, that
1: should be funny. Which should be funny. So there's a couple of things on the horizon I'm looking forward to. I I even want to see Snow White and the Huntsman. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. That looks cool. No, you don't. It's got Kristen fucking Stewart in it. You do not want to
5: see that film. It's a porn, right? (laughs) It is not. Oh. Well, maybe I'm thinking of something else then.
1: Not the (laughs) Huntsman.
5: Oh, okay. Jesus. Wow, I almost walked into the wrong picture. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you walked into that. (laughs) <laughs> what is wrong with you?
1: I don't no. know. What are you watching? You know, that? okay. Uh, first off our friends at glass, Eye picks and magnet releasing sent over a copy of Ty West, the innkeepers. Oh, I week. actually saw that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let me synopsize a little bit and then, uh, all we'll right. see what you, you synopsize think. Synopsize all over this. I'm gonna. Okay. So it's takes place in a Northeastern hotel called the Yankee peddler. And, uh, These two clerks, Claire and Luke, are working there for its final week in being open. The hotel is about to close, and uh, it has long been rumored to be haunted. And Claire and Luke are sort of ghost aficionados, I'd guess, and they're going to spend the weekend trying to capture some sort of digital or electronic evidence of these spooky happenings. And of course, uh, craziness ensues Uh, during the, the last night, a uh, former celebrity who is played by Kelly McGillis shows up and, uh, she has gotten into the faith healing business. And so she may or may not have a way to reach these spirits. And, uh, That's
5: kind of the setup for the picture. So what did you think of The Innkeepers, Gord? I liked it. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was a fun story. Although I prefer a little bit more plot in my ghost story. I want, I don't know, a reason at the end. or I I just want a little bit more meat on the actual backstory, I guess.
1: A little more behind the reason for the hauntings.
5: And and if you're not going to give me a reason for the haunting, then I want another story on why the characters are compelled to, to be in that situation and don't escape from the situation oh
1: yeah like where did they have a haunted experience well well part of that is kind of answered but part of it isn't so yeah, yeah i don't want to spoil I,
5: anything but i don't want to give it any harsh criticism because i i did enjoy it it was a fun movie and i thought the acting was great and it was fun it wasn't over the top it wasn't stupid at all it was no it was intelligent. And
1: I I really liked the chemistry between the two actors that play the the main clerks. There was a lot of kind of fun jokes and it had that vibe of two people who are stuck at work and they're screwing around together. Yeah. And so they had like inside jokes and goofiness and, you know, moodiness and just all the things that you have at a job with someone else. And that was like well captured. And then when it gets into the spooky parts itself, I thought it did a really nice job of building suspense. Now, his last film, House of the Devil, I really wanted to like, and I went into that one, you know, expecting big things because in the horror podcast community, it was kind of really talked up. And at the end... While it was like a note-perfect recreation of the 70s devil worshipper movies, kind of like Rosemary's Baby and that sort of thing, in the end I was kind of bored with it. Because it took a long time to build up the suspense, but it was basically one woman wandering around a house waiting for creepy things to happen. And yeah, in this I was one, a lot more about this. Yeah, with this film, I thought they did a much better job of pacing. It was not boring. It had a great vibe to it. And it was certainly tense without being like pop-up scare after pop-up scare.
5: It was legitimate and, and let building me tell suspense. And it had a scene in it, which I felt was played pitch perfect. It was a, a reflection on my life. I've seen this happen to me many times as a child because I was always the designated garbage thrower-outer. Mm-hmm. And as a smallish person, <laughs> I know what trying to get a about. bag of garbage that's too big, too heavy, too gross, up like over your head into the trash can, yes, I could identify with everything that she went through trying to get that <laughs> flipping bag of trash into the trash can. I don't know what it has to do with horror, but clearly I'm not the only person that's experienced this in their lifetime, and, and thank you. It, it was like therapy watching that.
1: Well, no, nah, it was that was another example of kind of a lighter scene- Before she goes into the garage and starts looking to the basement, and they (laughs) ratchet up the horror. So, I mean, the pacing of it I thought was really well done, and I I really liked this movie. I liked it. Yeah. So, check out Ty West's The Innkeepers. It's uh, now available on DVD. Uh, Also, uh, another film I'd like to review. Now, this is a classic film. We talked about uh, last episode, The House by the Cemetery uh, by Lucio Fulci, and I also got his masterpiece. Zombie, which you may know as Zombie 2 or Zombie Flesh Eaters. This is really kind of considered
5: Fulci's masterpiece. Zombie, the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> no.
1: Got an interesting story because remember we kind of talked before about how like they're always changing in Europe or were in the 70s and 80s changing the titles of movies. So in Europe, Dawn of the Dead was known as Zombie. And so this film they called Zombie 2 So that it could kind of trick people into thinking That this was a sequel to Romero's
5: Dawn of the Dead Oh god, that's messed up
1: It is But this film is kind of its crazy own thing And where, you know, the other films I was talking about The Beyond, House by the Cemetery, and City of the Living Dead Are all these sort of very dreamlike The zombies are zombies, but they're also kind of phantasmic This is much more of a straightforward zombie film so it starts on this island of Matul where there's a scientist there who has uncovered the dead are now rising. And it's not really so,
5: explained why. At some point did they say, hey, get off Matul.
1: They did. They said, you got to get off Matul. Did they but, say, wow, But the <laughs> check out Matul. So this ship gets sent out from the island. And oh,
5: wait, are there seamen on this ship? I bet there are. I bet there are Matul seamen. Okay, that's enough.
1: Anyway, so the, the ship comes rolling into New York Harbor, and it's a ghost ship. So the police pull up next to it. Matul's and, been blanks. And they stop the sailboat, and they go inside, and they look around, and there's a bunch of, like, rotten shit in it. And then finally, they bust into the captain's cabin, and this big, fat zombie comes out of there. And I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of like Dracula when, you know, the ship comes into the harbor and the captain is tied to the wheel. Yeah. And this zombie is huge. Like he's just eaten everyone on the ship. And so, you know, it it goes from there. The uh, ship who belongs in his mouth. (laughs) No, the ship belongs to this doctor and the doctor's daughter is called and she's wondering what happened to her father. And so she hooks up with this reporter to go to the island. And investigate what's going on Now the version they sent is Blu-ray And it looks just absolutely gorgeous The colors are vibrant and rich And the blood is just red, 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 fucking red The scenes that you may have heard of This is the film with the famous zombie versus shark scene (laughs) It's got to be seen to be believed, Gord Because it's actually a guy Dressed up as a zombie With a real shark Wrestling a real shark
5: well, that cannot
1: be good. It's freaking great. And before that, it's got a, a topless woman skin diving and she stumbles across the zombie. So it's got boobs, too. All right.
0: So I like a, anything
1: that you would want in a zombie movie is encapsulated in that scene. It is just awesome. And then it also has the amazing splinter in the eye gag. It's one of these things like on Shane where you think, nah, he's not going to do that, is he? And he totally does it. And so it's got a lot of just great gore in it. The story is not necessarily dumb. It's a little simple. You go to the island. The island's got a zombie outbreak, and they got to kill a a shitload of zombies. But it has kind of a nice wrap-up ending that returns to the mainland, and it's a great zombie film. It's probably one of the top ten zombie films of all time. Maybe top five. It's that good. Everybody should see this, and this is the best version to see. In addition... It's got a very cool 10-minute uh, short on the second disc. Uh, Guillermo de Toro kind of talks about the first time he saw it when he was a 10-year-old boy in Mexico City. And it totally blew his mind. There's some great interviews with the filmmakers as well as kind of a half-hour documentary about all of the filmmakers and actors coming together at Cinema Wasteland, a convention in Ohio and uh having a reunion and so it just got a lot of nice back features as well as a film looking better than it's ever looked before if you are a zombie fan of any stripe you need to own this film it's fucking great okay then. finally uh we talk about my tool some more (laughs) we can always talk about your tool the one other thing i wanted to mention in triage is that steve albini from big black now has a food blog
5: Is it called steak and black onions? It's not. It's called Mario Batali voice
1: because evidently when he cooks things for his wife, he serves them up with a Mario Batali voice. So (laughs) uh, but it's a very cool blog about how he cooks stuff. He did a chapter on venison that, uh, you know, his dad was evidently a great hunter. And so he talks about like, yeah, about he picked up some venison and he cooked it. and It turned out great. And he'll pick kind of a specific meal, like something like gnocchi. and can't even
5: pronounce that, let alone cook it.
1: It's really a cool blog. And I didn't know that this guy had this kind of game when it comes to the kitchen. So very cool to check out. You should definitely give it
5: a look. Game. Venison. I get
1: it. Let's listen to one more tune. From the 2006 EP, but you might find it on the album Ookie Spooky from 2007. This is Voltaire and Zombie Prostitute.
0: I was alone and I needed a date. I was taking a walk past the cemetery gate. When I, I saw a sign that said for a good time. Take a left down at tombstone number eight. Went through the gateway, and I'm pretty sure I saw some eyes peeking out of a sepulcher. I took a step into the tomb of a Repute. That's where I met her, the zombie prostitute. Sure I tore it, I sicked her down, but she didn't have the stomach for it Her teeth fell out and her tongue fell out the food But all in all she was a rotten kind of cute Well I was tense, it was plain to see A sort of rigor mortis was coming over me I didn't want to see it, but I just had to believe it I had a stiffy for the stiff in front of me Destitute in the tomb of a repute, she's a rotten kind of cute for a zombie prostitute. said, baby, keep the tip.
6: Morally, I'm
0: destitute in the tumble of the repute. She's a rotten kind of cute for a zombie prostitute.
1: Once again, zombie prostitute from Voltaire. Voltaire.net. Go there. Buy some of his work. It's great stuff and definitely... These are songs that you want to put on your next Halloween mix. I am telling you. So, dude, filthy jokes? Filthy jokes. I want to dedicate my joke to
5: you. Is it about a guy with an enormous schlong?
1: Uh, almost. Okay. So, this uh, first grade teacher is doing an exercise where they think of words beginning with each letter of the alphabet. She says, now, class, who can come up with a word beginning with A? Several students raise their hands, including Little Johnny. Oh, that bastard. Who's I can't, I can't call on me. Ooh, please call on me. Now, she knows. Little Johnny, he's got a filthy mouth. You know this. I know this. She knows this. She knows. He'll say asshole or something like that. So Fino pudding. He'd say Sally, w- what do you have? A. A is for apple. Very good, Sally. You got it absolutely right. That's perfect. So she moves on to B. And again... Little Johnny says, oh, please. His face is red. He looks like he's going to pop something. But, you know, she no, B, oh, shit, bastard, bitch. I, I don't even know what but, a butthole. butthole. Exactly. The possibilities are almost endless. So, no, I, I'm sorry. Bart, can you please tell me? B, B is for boy. Fantastic. So she continues going through C to no, forget geez,
5: C. God, no. D,
1: no. The, I mean, she keeps going through the alphabet, and she's thinking, on the one hand, she can't go to little Johnny because he's got a filthy mouth. On the other hand, she has to include him in the exercise somehow. So finally, she she decides, you know, the letter R. I can't really think of any swear words, so I, I'm going to call him little Johnny. So can anyone think of a word beginning with the letter R? Little Johnny raises his hand. Johnny, go ahead. Rat, Johnny says. She sighs with relief. Very good, Johnny. Rat does start with the letter R. Yeah, a big fucking rat with a dick this big. <laughs> Which reminds me of your rat. Uh,
5: yes. Earlier this I, episode. I didn't actually scope out the rat tool. <laughs> rat tool. That's Matool. the
1: island in Zombie, isn't it? <laughs>
5: I think it was. The island of rat
1: tool. I think it's right next to mat tool.
5: Yeah. Mat tool. <laughs> All right. Speaking of mat a guy goes into a drugstore to buy condoms. Okay. What size, asked the clerk. Okay, first of all, have you ever been in a, a drugstore to buy condoms and, like, had someone waiting on you asking what size?
1: Yes. Oh, okay. More often than you'd think.
5: <laughs> Gee, the guy says, I don't know. Go see Sophie in aisle four. <laughs> so he goes over to see Sophie. And she grabs his crotch and yells, medium! <laughs> the guy is mortified. So he, he hurries over to pay with his, for, I'm assuming, cash whatever's fastest for his medium-sized condoms and he leaves quickly. Another guy comes in to buy condoms and he gets sent over to Sophie in a pile four. She grabs his tool and yells, LARGE! The guy struts over to the register, slowly pays, and leaves. (laughs) A high school kid comes in to buy condoms. What size? Well, the kid embarrassingly, embarrassingly, in an embarrassed fashion, says, I- I- I've never done this before. I-, I, don't- I don't know what size. So the clerk sends him over to Sophie in Aisle 4. Pretty soon you hear, clean up, Aisle 4! <laughs> I like that. That's good. Well, thank
1: you.
6: All
1: right, thank you. Uh, this episode, I'd like to thank Mickey and Eric and all the amazing folks at Crypticon for their awesome hospitality, just making it for a absolutely great time. I would like to thank Mr. Aurelio Voltaire, for his fantastic music and his interview, as well as Doug Bradley. Also, thank you to Dev Devereaux for his amazing art this episode. I actually bought a print of his Drag Racing Nosferatu at Crypticon, and you can buy one too by visiting his site at Devendevero.com. Just follow the link on the Bonebat page. And thank you to Brian from Drunken Zombie for calling in with what pisses him off.
5: Our usual if everyone would do that, if everyone would just call in when they got pissed off, and I'm speaking especially to our friends in the Middle East, I think that we could achieve world peace. We are the world. We are. We are the children.
1: It pisses us off. Our usual bullshit. The show phone number is 425-296-6557. Or you can reach me via email to steve at bonehand.com. Got new content on BoneHand.com every Sunday, including the Heavy Half Hour, which uh, we did have an episode, a new episode last week. So check that out.
5: And you can find my cartoon before it has the copyright and website information removed from it at (laughs) MightyWombat.com. A new cartoon every Thursday except for this, you know, what, tomorrow? Because I haven't done crap this week. It's been a rough week. (laughs) But normally, yes, a weekly cartoon. And uh, on Twitter, when I remember it, Mighty underscore Wombat. That's me. Hey, don't we have a Facebook page? We do. Uh, you can
1: find us on Facebook as well as there. We have a Bone Bat feed on Twitter, and I am Bone Hand over there as well. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. And if you do like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Although, you know, we've been getting some complaints, dude. We have? Yes. uh, So Benza, when he fired in his uh, question for you, for you, the political rant, he says that we're like Metallica, that the old stuff was good.
5: (laughs) You know, we've made it. Didn't Dave Barry do a whole (laughs) column about that? I don't know. But uh, last week
1: I posted, I don't know if you saw, I posted classic episode number seven, which was the first appearance of Julie.
5: Yeah, and it,
1: yeah, it was a, a visit from Knuckles. You may recognize the episode, <laughs> which was really, in, in a lot of ways, I, I've always kind of felt that that was the episode where we kind of hit our stride.
5: Our seminal work?
1: Yeah, that we just kind of got, we started getting more confident talking in front of the mic and stuff and kind of getting a little more used to doing this thing. And that show definitely had that vibe to it. And uh, so when I was doing the classics and putting those together, I was really looking forward to finally getting that one out. And uh, finally released that last week, and I think that that was what brought that up. And evidently, episode seven was like the creeping death of Bone Breath. So,
5: we so are we now in our like dress in stupid clothes and cut our hair stage? Are we that part of Metallica? I
1: don't know. I'd like to think that we're "And Justice for All, where our, our episodes are long and sprawling and laden with riffs.
5: Yeah. But, oh God, do we have to do it? Nothing else matters. <laughs> do we have to release Load? You know, I heard the tool release load. I think so.
1: It's a whole island of load.
5: Yes. Uh,
6: All
1: right, our closing Uh, tune tonight, (laughs) appropriately enough, is entitled The Dirtiest Song That Ain't from 2012's Riding a Black Unicorn by Voltaire. I hope you dig it. Once again, I am Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do
5: have a good one.
0: I told
4: Slithy Tov, Zidgear and Gimbal in the way of old Mimsy with the borogos and Mumra, South Raib. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the teeth that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jub bird and shun that fermious bander. <laughs> snatch. <laughs>
6: he said snatch. Snatch.